And welcome everybody to another episode of Smart Money Circle. I'm your host, Adam Sarhan. With me today is Brian Feraldi, who's a financial educator and has a very large audience online, author of a very good book, and a whole lot more. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Adam, awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. So Brian, I always like to begin. Can you tell us a little about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Uh, I graduated from college in 2004 with a degree in business, and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I think college did a great job of prepping me for how to live on my own, but it did a really poor job about prepping me for really important money decisions that I was about to make. Uh, for example, I vividly remember after I signed up for my first job, I was sitting down with my 401k documents. The uh, HR rep was across the table from me and she said, what do you want to do? And I looked at the choices and I was like, I don't know what any of this means. Right. Like, can you can you help me? And her yeah. answer was, no, I'm I'm not allowed to help you. And I remember being like, that seems insane. Like this seems like really important information that I, I need to have. And I literally know nothing about right. what a 401k is, a company match. Uh, my choices were, do you want high growth, medium growth or low growth? And I was like, high growth, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I just remember being completely clueless about mm. some really basic things about money. Now, I, uh, from there, my dad gave me a copy of a really influential book in my life called Rich Dad, uh, Poor Dad. Dad uh, right. While today, I disagree with many of the things that are taught about that kickstart an absolute love affair that continues to this day with me wanting to learn everything I can about money and business and finance and, and personal finances and, and building uh, wealth. So for the last it. 20 years, I've been studying intensely on my own uh, related to anything to do with money and personal finance. About 18 years ago, I kind of fell in love with the, the stock market and have been educating myself uh, since. And then a few years ago, I started posting uh, feverishly uh, online and wrote a, uh, wrote a book. And that brings us to today. Excellent. I love it. What a phenomenal story. So... Um... Let's talk about your investment strategy a little bit. Are you more of a fundamental Buffett style investor? Are you technical oriented, a combination of both? Or you know, if you could speak to that a little bit, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, so I firmly am a bottoms up business focused in investor. Uh, I think that the stock market, uh, I, I love the Jack Bogle quote, which is the stock market is a giant distraction from the business of in investing. So I don't look at technicals or, or anything like that at all. Uh, the thing that I'm trying to do when I'm making an investment uh, is I take a, a company that comes on my radar. I run it through my checklist, my, my investing uh, framework. If it's a match for me and my investing style, uh, I'm going to buy that stock with the goal of holding it indefinitely. Uh, my favorite investments are the ones that continue performing for years and years and years um, uh, on end, but I don't consider the technicals or anything like that at all. The only thing I want to know is, do I think that if this company executes, that it can be substantially bigger five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now uh, than it is today? Gotcha. And then what kind of fundamental metrics do you look for? Do you big on cash flow? Are you big on uh, any specific metrics or you just, how do you determine the answer to that question? Yep. So there's a bunch of uh, categories that, that, that I look at. And here's an exercise that I recommend to anybody that, that invests, whether you invest the way that I do uh, or, or not. Uh, one exercise that I went through a few years ago was I wrote down every single business attribute that I would find attractive as an investment. So for example, I like 
a strong balance sheet. I like a high gross margin. I like free cash flow, like high returns on capital, founder-led management team, high insight ownership, widening moat, optionality, low customer acquisition costs, et cetera. So I made this big list. Right. Then I forced myself to rank it from most important to least important. That is actually a really critical step. I was about to say that's genius. Yeah, that's yes. awesome. Second yeah. thing I did was I made the exact opposite list, which is what are the things I don't want to see um, mm -hmm. in, in investment? So for me, that's things like customer concentration, over dependence on an outside force, such as commodity prices or interest rates uh, or a strong economy. I don't like high stock-based compensation. I don't like it uh, when there's currency uh, things that are going on. I don't like it when there's antitrust concerns. I don't like it when the company grows by acquisition, et cetera. Same thing. I then ranked it from worst quality to satisfactory uh, quality. Then I assigned my best, my, the most important qualities to me, a maximum of 100 points. And I forced myself to rank them in order and dole out points based on a criteria that I thought was uh, most useful. In, in essence, I created a weighing system right. for my criteria on both the positive attributes and the negative attributes. Yes. After completing this process, refining it and going through, I'm on version three now, and, and importantly, getting feedback from other investors, I can now take any company that I come across and run it through this, this framework uh, in about an hour or so. And what the output of that framework is, how high quality of how high quality is this business and how strong of a match is it for what I'm looking for in a potential investment? Right. And then- Broadly speaking, I allocate my capital to ones that are a best match and avoid buying the ones that are the worst match. That's really, really, really a great process. So let's talk about value for a second. I know value is subjective like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. How do you determine if something is undervalued or overvalued? If let's say it matches all of your criteria, but the stock is trading at exceptionally high screaming levels, we're just overvalued. You know, how do you solve for X? <laughs> Sure. So the the quality screen that I put my uh, my stocks through is 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 step one and by far the most important step. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally uh, am a value investor at heart. I, I I really everything that Warren Buffett has ever said just totally makes uh, sense to me. So that was the lens that I looked through my investment world uh, for many 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 years. I have slowly learned the hard way that emphasizing valuation can be a massive mistake. And if, if, if emphasizing valuation uh, causes you to not buy the next Netflix, not buy the next Amazon, not buy the next Salesforce, um, then, then that is a huge problem in your investing, investing process. So I now, my current view on valuation, which has changed drastically, I'm sure will change again, uh, is essentially the higher the upside potential and the higher quality of the business, the less I pay attention to valuation. The okay. lower the potential of the business or the lower the return potential investments, the more I pay attention to valuation. For example, if yeah. I came across a company that was worth $1 billion today, yeah. And I legitimately believe that that could be a $50 billion company if it executed. Right. Valuation's not even going to be on my radar. Understood. I'm just going to buy it. Yeah. However, if I was going to buy Apple today or Microsoft today or some big mature company that's best case scenario growth rate is likely to be in the high single digits, 
Right. Boy, am I going to emphasize valuation. It's probably going to be the first thing that, that I look at. So it's, it's a sliding scale based on what is the upside potential of the investment. I love that. And then how do you actually determine value? Is it based on the PE ratio? Is it forward trailing? Like, how do you determine it? It depends on the stage that the business is in. This is another massive mistake that I've made uh, along, along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really important for investors to get in their head the concept of the business, uh, business growth cycle. So okay. at the start, when a, when a company is first founded, um, oftentimes the only thing that the management team is focused on is revenue. That's it. Everything else comes second to revenue. They are capturing customers. They are expanding. And the bottom line profitability is not a focus for the business at all. Nice. For these companies, yeah. PE ratio is useless. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I agree. Price yeah. to free cash flow is useless right. because the bottom line, the profitability of the business is not a focus. The top line is. For these Gosh. kinds of businesses, the only thing that you can look at in, in many cases is price to sales, or if you're lucky, price to gross profit, or even if you're luckier, price to EBIT uh, yeah. uh, ratio, for example. Right. Uh, conversely, uh, if a company is fully optimized for profits, it's mature, it's, it's, um, it's reached the mature phase, and it is, it is focused on bottom line profitability, then and only then can you, can you use the price to earnings uh, ratio. So the yes. metric that I pay attention to depends yep. on where the company is in its growth cycle. No, it makes perfect sense. So I, I've had a lot of people on the show that manage a ton of money that are very strong value investors. And I, I love your process because it is different than most of what they do. My question now, I get the fundamental side. How do you handle risk? And what are some mistakes you make with, or you've seen people make with respect to risk management? Because if you love a company and you think the company has tremendous growth, a billion to 50 billion, or, you know, get your Starbucks when they had 500 stores before they had a gazillion stores, right? And let's say you're wrong and the stock goes from 100 down to 10 or Netflix just dropped 80% in the last six months. So um, how do you handle risk and what mistakes do you see people make with respect to risk management? Well, I'm guessing compared to the way the most people you talk to in the show, my, my, the number one way I ha manage risk is by not managing anybody else's money. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, I am only managing my own capital, period. The only mm -hmm. person that I have to answer to is myself. Mm -hmm. I don't have to, uh, I, I don't mind underperforming over short periods of time. I'm not going to fire myself. I don't have to do win window dressing. I don't right. have to worry about expense. I don't have to worry about proving myself to anybody else except for myself. Yeah, and you don't uh, have so the pressure from them either. I, I hear that loud and clear. Yeah, that's very powerful. I, I can't imagine how hard it is to manage somebody else's money. It, it's, it's one of really the most hard to manage yeah. your own money. Right. I got to tell you, it's one of the most undervalued kind of performance driven businesses where people just don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like chocolate. What does chocolate taste like? You, you, you can't explain it until you actually taste chocolate. But once yeah. you taste the chocolate, I can't give you vanilla, but like that's chocolate, you know, it's chocolate. So what you're going through here and then having that additional upside of managing the money, that's why hedge fund managers get paid so much when they're right and they perform well, because it's well-earned money. I mean, it's one of the most difficult things to do. But anyway, uh, yeah, you're, you're 100% right on the money. So keep going. So that, that's, th that's thing one. I only manage my, my own money because I, I can't imagine how my decision-making process would be changed if I had to think about minimizing drawdown or how am I going to explain this move to, to, to a client? I, in fact, I saw a great quote recently that um, your, your risk profile is either what your client's risk profile is or yours, whichever is lower or whichever was, right. whichever was I, worse. I get that. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Um, yeah. So, so that's thing one. Uh, thing two, 
is I, I am a hyper practice and hyper preach the barbell method uh, to, your, to your finances. What I mean yeah, by please that explain is that in case people don't understand my personal finances are ridiculously conservative. They are hyper conservative. What I mean by that is we have multiple sources of income. We have a very, very high savings rate. We have a six plus month emergency fund and we have zero debt of any kind to our, our names, zero debt. That extreme conservatism on the personal finance side makes it so any volatility that my investments experience has zero impact on my day-to-day -day life, right. zero. My, my house isn't uh, at risk because of volatility. My car isn't at risk where we live. Nothing is at risk because of volatility. Yeah. That gives me the mental capacity and mental fortitude to deal with extreme amounts of volatility in my investment portfolio. Right. That's why I don't mind buying lots of high growth companies in my investment, uh, in my, in my investment portfolio and staying 100% stocks, 0% bonds, because yeah. the volatility, while can be mentally challenging, in no way threatens anything about my, about my life. Yeah, and no, then, that's very smart. Keep going. And then third, the third way that I manage uh, risk is by, is by diversifying. Um, I, I personally own a few dozen, a, a dozen stocks or, or so, and it's really, really hard to tell in real time which companies are truly going to be the, the outperformers uh, of the future. Because every, everything that you have to make that decision is the information you have now looking backwards. Yes. But the future is always uh, un unknown. And you are essentially betting in many cases with the, the style of investments that I have, that this company is so fantastic that it's going to outperform even very, very high expectations, which is yeah. what some the most, uh, the best companies of the last 20 years uh, have, have done. So right. you're betting on the future execution of, of a management team. And I don't know which ones are going to execute. So I am happy to buy small positions in lots of stocks. And then importantly, give them plenty of runway to, to, prove, to prove themselves. So I am a very reluctant seller, sometimes to a fault, because mm -hmm. I know that all, all the greatest stocks of the next 20 years are going to experience massive drawdowns. Yeah. Massive 100%, drawdowns. 100%. And if, if you sold Netflix in 2011, yeah, after, by the way, an 80% decline, yeah. you missed out on, an, on a fortune. Yeah. over the next 10, 10 years. Understood. Are we dealing with that right now? I don't know. Yeah. No. Netflix is down big. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the next 10 years going to hold? I, no. I don't know. But this is a right. company that has a history of executing uh, very, very well. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm very reluctant uh, seller. For that reason, that, that, that reluctance to sell and, my, and, my, and my purposely taking small position sizes causes my portfolio to concentrate itself into my best ideas. So if you look at my top holdings today, they are not picked by me. They were picked by the companies executing extremely well and their stocks going up so much that they earned a higher and higher portion of my portfolio. And yep. my losers, which I have plenty of, have right. essentially faded away into obscurity and all right. they are is a future tax write-off. No, I hear you loud and clear. So that, that makes a lot of sense. So I published a book and it's called Psychological Analysis. The idea is a third school of thought in addition to fundamental and technical. And what you're saying here is ringing so true. So the two points you mentioned, one is mental capital, that you have your market investments 
in a silo almost, where it's 100% independent from your day-to-day -day lifestyle. And even if that goes to zero, which it won't, but <laughs> it does go to zero, you have the clarity and the ability to live a life and it doesn't impact you whatsoever. So you're not really making emotional decisions, which is another fundamental part of the book is learn how to make rational, not emotional decisions with your money. And then the second point is the looking forward and looking backwards. And you're 100% right. And I talk about this where it's almost like when you drive out of your driveway, you have your rearview mirror, but you can't drive on the highway looking like that. But whenever we get earnings data or economic data, it tells us what the jobs report, what happened last month, but the market's looking forward. And that mm -hmm. disconnect, most investors aren't able to, to understand, let alone deal with. I, I love what you're saying here. So Brian, I'm asking this question. When you have a um, an investment, what is your normal position size? Are you taking 1% positions, 5%, 2%? And how do you know when you're wrong? Let's just say you are wrong. And like you said, you're a reluctant seller, but when do you ultimately get out? Um, so as far as position sizes, I, I view my portfolio like a cruise ship. So if, if I want to change direction, boy, is it going to take a long time for that direction to really uh, come, come to fruition. So yeah, I buy roughly uh, in 0.5% uh, positions. So I ebb in really, really oh. slowly, um, uh, really, really slowly over time. Uh, the other thing that's worth noting about that is it's common for people to talk in percentage terms, which makes total sense, but the yeah. absolute dollar amount really matters. Uh, for example, if I was investing, if I if I had ten thousand uh, dollars to my portfolio name, you can yeah. bet that I'd be buying in five percent chunks. Like five hundred dollars in an investment just makes uh, total total so sense. Uh, comparatively, if you're investing, uh, let's just say you have ten million dollars to invest. Well, in that case, a 0.5 percent position is I'm pretty sure fifty fifty thousand dollars. If I did the math uh, correct, right? And it's like all right, if you're investing fifty thousand dollars in something and that thing. Uh, like quadruples, well, that's 200 grand. Like right. in absolute money terms, that's a huge amount of money. Um, right. So the, the allocation percentage has decreased over time as the absolute total value of my portfolio uh, ha has grown. So that's uh, just um, an important point that, that's, that's worth making. I forget what your other question was aside from um, valuation. Oh, how do I know I'm wrong? Yeah. Broadly speaking, um, there are set, there are a few reasons that I will that I will take action and sell a stock. Number one is by far the most important. Number one was I was wrong, and and the re the number one reason I'm wrong is thesis is busted. Okay. So the the reasons that I made an investment in the first place uh, were proven to be incorrect. One recent one that I, I was recently proven wrong on was Grubhub. Mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago, I was an investor in Grubhub. At the time, a big part of my thesis was this is the top dog in the food delivery space, which it was. Right. And I said, I believe that this company is protected by the network effect, okay. where the more diners that are on the platform, the more restaurants that are going to come on the platform. And this is naturally a winner take most kind of market. Yeah. Then what proceeded to happen is Grubhub lost market share to DoorDash consecutively for quarter after quarter after quarter. And the company, which was profitable, said, mm -hmm. we're going to be significantly ramping up our spending on sales and marketing, and right. we're going to go from profitable to being a loss. Gotcha. Now, why would a company do that if they had this unassailable moat that I thought that they have? Right. That is an example of, I thought X, X was false. I was wrong, admit defeat, sell and learn. Interesting. So you're not waiting for the stock to go down X percent below your entry price or any of that kind of stuff. You're looking from a fundamental standpoint, if your thesis is just wrong because they're losing market share or they're not growing at the, way, the rate that you expected or, or whatever, 
then you you blow out that way, not based on the price of the stock moving up or down X percent or anything along those lines. Nope, has nothing to do with the stock the stock the stock movement. Uh, bro, I, uh, broadly speaking, I want my capital in in my highest conviction ideas that I believe we're going to go up um, o o over time. And if I was clearly proven to be wrong about about a company, I'm going to sell. The vast 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 majority of the time that I'm that that happens, I'm down. I, yeah. I've lost money on a position, but I've learned yeah. an important lesson uh, yeah. about that. So I've paid uh, uh, the uh, it's the best tuition that you can pay, I believe, is losing money on an investment. You're like, well, I guess I'm going to learn something really important. I wish I learned it a different way, but apparently it's going to cost me um, money. Hello. Other times that I would sell would be if the company got acquired. Okay. Um, if the company makes a massive acquisition that is thesis changing. Uh, okay. So for example, uh, a, a few years ago, I did not own it, but um, a lot of people were really high on Teladoc, Teladoc right. Health. Yep. And at the time, Teladoc, which was acquisitive, made this massive I acquisition yeah. of, yeah. of, of Livongo Health. And yep. that was like a $17 billion company acquiring a $16 billion company. Yep. That is thesis changing. That is thesis changing. Uh, yeah. for a company. Conversely, if Apple buys a $5 billion company, who cares? It's doesn't irrelevant, yeah, right? It it's matter. not thesis changing. So yeah. if, a th if, a, if an acquisition came across that was thesis changing, I would perhaps uh, sell. Um, if there's accounting irregularities or accounting, uh, like we have to misstate, we misstated our numbers. That's, that's uh, okay. You're dead to me forever. Uh, yep. see, see you later. And yep. um, I have a couple more, but uh, the other, uh, other one I'll throw out there is my favorite reason to sell, which is I need the money to spend in real life, AKA the reason we invest in the first place. Uh, so I've sold out to, to finance a, a, kitchen, a kitchen. I've sold out to finance um, uh, an automobile purchase, um, et cetera. Uh, but bro, number, number one, thesis busted is the most important by far. I love that. So you mentioned lessons, which is a perfect segue to my next question. What are some timeless lessons you've learned along the way that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, uh, that depends. You, you timeless investing lessons or time, timeless money lessons? Go anywhere you want. Yeah. Okay. Both. So I'll say, I'll go with <laughs> we'll, timeless money We'll take it all with lessons. the please and thank you, Brian. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. we do. <laughs> timeless money lessons uh, uh, first. Um, I would say that uh, the, the most powerful, the number one thing that people listening can do to build wealth for themselves is increase their savings rate, period. Okay. End of story. Uh, I, I personally believe that uh, yeah, focusing on saving more money is the number one thing that people can do uh, to, to make themselves so wealthy. If you're saving more money, it doesn't matter to me if you're using that to pay down wealth, pay down debt, or just build a cash balance or making investments, even if they're bad investments, you have so many more options if you just have more money to invest. So how do we save more money? Two main strings you can pull. One is cut expenses. That's the one that people hate. Yes. Um, but I, I firmly believe that everybody, if you audit your life, including me, uh, yeah. will find dumb things that you're spending money on and, and stop spending money on those dumb things. Uh, number two is increasing your income. And there's a bunch of ways that you can increase uh, your, your income. Uh, upskilling yourself uh, if you have a job with high income potential, potentially changing jobs, changing uh, careers, mastering negotiation, starting a side hustle. There's numerous things that you can do as a human to, to increase your, your income potential. So I'll say mm -hmm. that, that that's fundamental. Right, you, it doesn't matter how good of an investment you are. Somebody that's saving ten thousand dollars a year is going to do way better than somebody saving one thousand dollars a year that's a master investor. Just, just period, end of story. Yeah, so that would be thing one. Uh, thing two that I will say is um, uh, 
ask yourself what you want from an investment. What is your goal uh, for, for, for investing? I firmly believe that 99% of people should just buy index funds and call it a day. Right. The reason I think that isn't because I don't think people are smart enough to pick their own stocks or smart enough to analyze business. I just know from experience that only about 1% of people enjoy investing enjoy digging through SEC filings, listen to conference calls, talking with other investors, right? It's, it's a niche, niche thing to do. I couldn't um, agree with you more. Yeah. So if, if you don't enjoy the process of investing, no problem, buy index funds and call it a day. Right. Yeah, no, I couldn't, it's such a powerful lesson. Okay, um, timeless mistakes. Oh, wow, I've made a whole bunch of those. Yeah, um, and every time I make a mistake, it's, it costs me money, uh, yeah. but I learned something uh, important. Um, on an individual level, uh, one of the, 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 the most costly dollar mistake that I've ever made uh, involved two things that I didn't fully appreciate. The first is leverage. Okay. Um, and the second is um, a, a dependence on an outside uh, force. So the biggest dollar investment that I've taken, loss I've taken so far, is to buy is to um, make a company called Kinder Morgan, yeah, the energy pipeline company. My right. number one equity position, and in addition to that, I layered in a bullish option positions on top of that called the synthetic long. Okay, um, so I, I was really betting that Kinder Morgan stock was going to go up. Uh, over time, because I was so convinced that the business was rock solid, the business was low risk, it was well managed, paid a dividend, um, and had a realistic growth plan. And importantly, I believed that the company was immune to energy price swings. The mm -hmm. business model made itself immune to energy price swings. Mm -hmm. Then the stock proceeded to fall 70%. Right. So not only did I lose money on my number one position, I lost money with leverage. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I forced myself to take a massive uh, loss on there. Mm -hmm. What I really got wrong was one, over allocating to a single position based on my conviction, which proved to be in, in, incorrect. Yeah. Um, and two, the lesson I really learned the hard way is some companies are heavily dependent. Success is heavily dependent on a factor that is completely outside of their control. Every oil company out there, no matter how well managed it is, is going to do terrible things if oil prices fall, period. And that is a factor that is completely outside of the management team's control. Same right. for every commodity producer out there. Same for mm -hmm. banks that need mm -hmm. high or low interest rates uh, to, to, to make money. Same for industrials that need a strong economy in order to, 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 print, uh, to print cash. Because of that, uh, the, the, one of the biggest uh, point docs that I have on my investing checklist is if a company is dependent on an outside force for, for the investment to work out. Business is so hard and there's so many things that can go wrong. I don't want luck to be an additional factor that gets added into the equation. So when I, I look that. at like a company that um, more recently uh, uh, I've just completely avoided is Coinbase. Mm -hmm. and, and Coinbase checks a lot of boxes. Uh, for me, founder, founder led, top dog and first mover, important merging uh, industry, high inside ownership, good Glassdoor uh, ratings. It was ridiculously profitable uh, when it came public, but I passed because I was like, doesn't matter how awesome Coinbase is. The only thing that matters is crypto prices, period. Yep. End of story. Yep. And this company does not control the price of crypto uh, right. currency. So right. I, I, that, that's a company I'm never going to invest in. And that is thanks to losing a whole bunch of money on Kinder Morgan. Kinder Morgan, right. I love that. This is, this is awesome. Okay, Brian. So 
what's the best piece of advice you'd give your 20 or 30 year old self? The highest return, I firmly believe in the Ben uh, Franklin quote, I, I think I'm going to butcher it, but it's the, the investment education pays yourself. the highest returns. Yeah, um, I, yeah. Uh, to me, the, the foundational step to, to everything that you want in life is, is, is educating yourself, uh, yeah. self-education. If you want to do well with money over time, uh, educate yourself financially. If you want to do well with your health over time, educate yourself on, on health. If you want to do well with relationships, educate yourself about it. The good news is it's never been easier or cheaper to get that information. Yeah. What's what's rare is the willingness to go out and seek that information and learn and learn the lessons. Uh, so my, my, my number one advice to myself 20 years ago would be I would have given myself the exact book that I did to start my journey just earlier. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. So, okay, wonderful. Now, do you invest in private businesses? I do not. No. Any interest in that? No. No. And now the next question would be why do you prefer uh, liquidity in the stock market or like, cause you have, you're a very business focused person. You invest in businesses. Is it something that you just have no interest in running, managing the day to day or being an investor in, or is that like, in other words, why the stock market isn't, mm -hmm. isn't the question. Yeah. So the, the, another asset class that I've looked at intensely, but I ultimately passed on was real estate. Okay. And that is because I know myself. Yeah. If I had to evict somebody out of a rental property that I owned, yeah. I would not sleep for That's weeks. Cool. I would want to throw up. Yeah. I would be so willing to go out of my way to give that tenant everything that they wanted. And yeah. of course, my returns on that would just be, be, be awful. And right. any potential gains that I would get from that investment would be overshadowed by the negativity brought on every other part of my life. So yeah. I think that real estate is a fantastic asset uh, class. And there are lots of people that do very, very well with it. It's just not for me with the sole exception being REITs. Yeah. Uh, because REITs, I can buy or sell unemotionally. I can collect the dividend on and I can make, I can get in and out of very, very quickly. Um, that's not to say that I won't ever invest in, in private businesses. Um, but the stock market is something I understand. Business analysis is something I understand. I have an edge in the market and that edge is the willingness and the ability to deal with extreme patience and hold for very long periods of time. Um, so that's what that, stocks are my, are my asset class that I spend uh, my time and capital on in I, the future. Uh, it may be something different, but that's what I'm sticking with for the foreseeable future. Yeah. No Buffett talks about, right. The circle of confidence You know, your lane, stay in your lane and that's your lane. So stay in the lane by all means. And that's really, really good advice as well. So I guess, Brian, in closing, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or grab the book. If you have a copy, if you want to share it or how do people get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, my book is called Why Does the Stock Market Grow Up? It, it is essentially the book that I wish I could have given to myself uh, 20 years ago. It's aimed at extreme beginners, people with literally zero knowledge, just like I had when I was mm -hmm. in that first very first 401k meeting. Uh, that book's available uh, on Amazon and all book re retailers. Uh, if you want to connect with me, I, I'm very active on social media. Uh, Twitter is my number one platform. And if you're interested in my investing style and checklists, and all that kind of stuff, I go through all that in details on my YouTube channel, which is my name, Brian Feraldi. Beautiful. And your Twitter handle is the same name? Yeah, Br Brian Feraldi. Yep. Gotcha. Well, Brian, this is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Adam.